0: Welcome to today's episode of Ask the Planner. I'm your host, Desiree Adams, and today we're talking about luxury destination weddings. Whether you're planning a local wedding or a destination wedding, or you have a more modest budget, or you're a vendor considering getting into destination weddings, you're still going to get so many great ideas and takeaways from today's guest. So who is today's guest? Beth Helmsetter is the CEO and creative director of Beth Helmsetter Events, a full-service event design. production studio specializing in multi-day weddings and celebrations throughout the world. Beth's discerning clients have hosted friends and family in some of the most beautiful places, including Italy, Paris, Bali, the Philippines, Costa Rica, Mexico, Korea, and all over the U.S. With over 15 years of experience, Beth Helmsetter and her team are sought after for creating memorable multi-day events that are filled with meaning and connection. Beth Helmsetter Events has been graciously named as one of the best planners in the world by Harper's Bazaar, Martha Stewart Weddings, Elle Magazine, Brides, and Travel and Leisure. Guys, please help me welcome Beth to the show. Beth, thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. First, I would love to start our episode getting to know you a little bit before we dive into the interview. So, of course, I read your bio at the top, but I'd love for you to tell our listeners in your own words more a little bit about you, how you got started, and what brought you to where you are today.
1: Let's see. So, I I own a... An event design and production company in Los Angeles. We are in our 17th year of business, as you kind of alluded to. I started actually in the nonprofit world a long time ago. I was making $27,000 a year. I couldn't pay my bills, and I got a part time job doing day of coordination at a local estate. And I just fell in love. As soon as I started doing weddings, I was like, it incorporated everything i had interest in like love and hospitality food and beverage design all of these things were in one job and i was like this is what i want to do oh i'm from the midwest i i left that part out where i'm from this job is not really a thing maybe maybe seasonally you would have a seasonally you would have an event planner or you'd have a full-time wedding planning job but you you probably couldn't make a career out of it throughout the whole year. So I started looking and being like where could I work and live and a few months later I was in the islands of Hawaii. I I was based on Maui and I was a wedding planner at a resort there. I started in the destination wedding market. All of the couples were, it was it was kind of the opposite of what I do now, but all the couples were coming to Hawaii to get married. So that was how I kind of started my career. And then once I started my business, people started thinking of me for other things. Oh, can you work on other islands? And then I moved to LA for personal reasons and people started to be like, oh, could you go to Mexico or could you go to Aspen? And so it just kind of evolved from there. But yeah, that's a little bit of my background.
0: That is so funny because I also got started in planning nonprofit events a long time ago. It was the very sexy American Political Science Association. So okay. we planned an annual meeting. So it's also a very similar salary of like $27,000. <laughs> yeah. Obviously, we worked our way up. That was a while ago. But I love how you just decided what you wanted to do. And how you kind of like came into it from a different angle. So many people come to the events industry from so many different places. But we all love what we do for different reasons. So yeah, so clearly, you've come a long way from the beginning. And like I mentioned, in the the beginning of in your bio, you've been recognized by so many publications. And I know that there are definitely planners and photographers out there that listen to the show that would love to be included in places like Harper's Bazaar and Martha Stewart. How did that Come to be. I know there's like different times and different, you know, different ways, but, you know, to be recognized by those places, is it from relationships, PR, cold submissions, like all of the above? I think
1: initially to get on their radar, obviously, they need to see your work. And so in the beginning, absolutely, it was cold submissions, I would just reach out to whoever would respond. And then as the relationships developed, they would start coming to me for information. And then once the list started coming out, there's no submission process. As far as I know, they just contact you and say like, Oh, we've selected you and you're like, oh, Okay, great. But as far as the cold submission process, I mean, one one piece of advice I give people is submit your work. I mean, they need, they need content. And I think there's always this mystique about publications where it's like, oh, you know, I have to be in with someone. And the truth is, is like a lot of the times they just need reliable experts to ask questions to. They need new content. And it's, it's really a mutually beneficial relationship if you can be a good ally to them. So over the years, I've just you know, courted editors and, and been there for them when they needed me to. And then more recently in my career, I do have a a publicist who helps me manage some of the the inquiries that come in. But that's certainly not how it started in any way. It was definitely just cold submitting.
0: That's awesome. I feel like a lot of the times when I talk to different vendors, they're very intimidated, or they're just like, I'll get to it. And then they don't. And then they have, you know, a backlog of things that they could submit. But you know, life and business gets in the way. But I think that's really great advice to anyone that's listening and wants to be submitted and wants to be published, just go ahead and do it and then we'll start happening.
1: Yeah. Awesome.
0: Okay, so today we're talking about destination weddings and I think it's a great topic for today's podcast because nearly twenty percent of all weddings are destination weddings, which means that the couple is planning a wedding outside of their current hometown. We do a lot of destination weddings for our company because they're, you know, the couples are coming back to the area and they're not living here currently. But obviously, destination weddings can be very challenging due to the distance. And so when you're working with couples and they're considering a destination wedding, whether it's in the U.S. or or abroad, what do you think is the first thing that they should be considering when thinking about should they even have a destination wedding?
1: Really thinking through, do they want to kind of take that extra onus when it comes to the guests? Maybe feeling out their family and friends, thinking, you know, will they actually come? Destination weddings are interesting. I've I've done 200-person weddings in Italy where 198 of the 200 guests attended. And I've had weddings where we've invited 150 guests and only 30 have showed up. So really, if the attendance is really important, really feeling that out with your family and friends to see if they have the time and the resources to commit. If the attendance is not important and you really just want to be where you want to be, then just really locking in on that mindset and be like, okay, you know, we're going to invite 120 people and we're okay if only 30 people show up. It could be the opposite could happen as well. Most people could come depending on the destination, but just really being okay with that. And then as you look at your destinations, you know, unfortunately, it's like you have to think about who you are as a couple, but you also need to think about what you think your guests are going to respond to, right? So it's like if you're an adventurous travel traveler, but your guests are not into that, you might be walking into a situation where you have to hold hold their hand a little bit more and things like that. That doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means like you really want to know what you're getting into.
0: Yeah, I think those are great points because even with our couples who are only in the U.S., And and even if they're planning a local wedding, they're surprised at the guest count because it's over a holiday weekend or whatever. So that's definitely a good point. And I think you're right because I think the most successful events are when you think of your guests and their interests and their comfort. And obviously, if you're throwing in the traveling abroad aspect or traveling further, it's going to make things a little bit more complicated. So they might become a little bit more needy for sure. So I love talking to different vendors and getting their opinion. Do you recommend, so if a couple is, yes, we're going to definitely do a destination wedding. Do you think that they should talk to a planner first before or after deciding on a location? So like, what is your kind of like the first three steps If they're like, okay, we're on board with a destination wedding. What do we need to do next? I would obviously talk to a planner. I mean, I'm biased. I
1: think, you know, you could feel it out on your own, you could pick your venue on your own. But there's a lot of things that come up in the contractual process. So not only can a planner help you navigate different venues and talk through, you know, kind of the pros and cons of each, and they can help you avoid financial surprises more than anything. So it's not that I can make those financial issues maybe go away, but when you're looking at a venue, I can say like, okay, this venue is gonna need a generator you know, this is 45 minutes from the airport, so there might be some onus on us to do airport transfers. Do you want to consider that? And just kind of talking through all the scenarios before they lock in a venue. It's 50-50 on my end. Some of our clients have the venue locked in and some don't, but when they don't, we're able to navigate things like room blocks, any kind of transportation issues, any kind of financial surprises they might incur. And then of course, help them kind of plan out the weekend, even if only in theory, like, okay, if guests arrive on this day, you know, what, what is the first night look like versus the last night and all of that sort of thing. So we think you should bring on a planner, you just go into it a little bit more educated and and ideally kind of set up for less surprises. But we have lots of couples who go book a hotel in Italy without our guidance. And then we jump in afterwards, we just sometimes have to be the one that's like, Oh, hey, did you know that you needed shuttles? And they're like, Oh, we never thought about that. You know, it's still fixable at that point. It's just better to know up front.
0: Right, yeah, I agree. I mean, I think with having a planner, you can definitely help them plan or identify issues further up front and not be as surprised, especially when it comes to their budget and how the things things are gonna be affected by their budget for sure. So I know you travel to lots of amazing destinations, and you've worked on both sides as far as like being kind of the local person, but then also traveling to different places. What do you think are the pros and cons of working with the planner that's more local to the place versus someone that like you that's not but gonna travel because obviously you have experience when couples are looking for a planner to plan, you know, the destination wedding, what do you think or how should they deal with that?
1: Yeah, I think honestly I think it depends on priorities. When people bring us in, it's usually because they want their event to be of a certain level. They often want it to be a little more creative, maybe something that hasn't been done in that region before. And because I have been on the other side, you know, I'm not just making this up. When I was a wedding planner based in Maui, my resources were my resources. I didn't really know how to get textiles from Los Angeles per se, or I didn't necessarily know the capabilities of building custom structures and things of that nature. Whereas like when you bring someone in from the outside, they can kind of see it from a different space, depending on their experience level, they know how to get other things done that maybe a local person could probably figure out, but maybe just doesn't have the, the chops to do it right away. I do think the reason to hire local, obviously it's a cost saving. So if budget is the top priority, then that would be a reason. Locals also definitely have a little bit more accountability from the local vendors. So even when I work internationally, I'll hire someone locally to support me. Because if the florist isn't responding to me, they might respond to the planner that's hiring them all the time. So it's just, you know, there are definite pros and cons to both. But people usually bring us on when they really want to focus on creating something a little bit more unique and special to them for the weekend. And that's not to say a local couldn't do it. It's just what we are typically brought in to do.
0: Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I think that's a great idea that you bring up the fact that you also work with people that are local, other planners that are local to help facilitate sometimes those relationships or getting people on board that you would trust. Do you feel like when you're hiring local versus, you know, bringing in people from out of the country that there's typical vendors that you usually hire that are going to be on the local side? Or does it really just depend on the different locations? It depends on the different
1: locations, but if I were to travel with a vendor, photography is almost always a vendor that we're traveling with. Hair and makeup is actually second, which might surprise people. And then probably entertainment is third. When we're hiring local, though, even if even if we're in a scenario and we've been in the scenario where we're bringing in the florist and the caterer and we're bringing in everyone out from outside, we're still almost always getting things like shuttles and generators and AV and just like all that logistics stuff, portable restrooms, all of that locally. So we still are really reliant on the local wedding community to support us, even if. We get the more obvious vendors, even if we're flying them in, there's still a whole team behind the scenes that you don't even realize, most people don't even realize are a part of a wedding. So yeah, that's almost always local.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. Having a really good team, people that excel at what they do is great, but then having people that are local, that have a local knowledge and those connections is also very, very helpful too, because they will know different nuances that someone may not, depending, despite all of the research that we do ahead of time. Yeah.
1: Cultural barriers are real, even if just in the United States. I mean, the way I engage with wedding vendors in Southern California is different than the East Coast, is different than the South. Like it's just, there's different etiquettes in certain cultures. More obvious
0: internationally, but also relevant in the United States too. I think that's a great point. So I know that there are vendors and planners that are listening to the podcast that would love to get into destination weddings. How would you advise they get started doing so? Do you think it's like a photo shoot, networking with vendors in the area that they want to travel to? What would you recommend to them?
1: Yeah, I would put as much information out there that allows you to be seen as a destination wedding expert, even if you're just talking about your travel expertise. Before I was really doing international destination weddings, I was writing blog posts on like, if I were to get a wedding in France, this is what I would do, you know. I was networking with local vendors and transparently like this is an unpopular opinion, but my first few international weddings, I got I did not get paid the full market rate of what someone would get paid because I wanted to build my portfolio. I took a price cut because I also felt like those couples were taking a chance on me. So people don't like to hear that, but I I do think when you're trying to enter a different market, it might be
0: something you have to consider depending yeah, I think those are all really great ideas, guys. So let's get more into the destination weddings. If people have never been to your website, seen your social media, any of that stuff, can you tell us a little bit more about like the types of destination weddings that you're planning? Like, Why are the couples going there? What's the typical guest count? And then anything else to help us to kind of picture them? Sure. Most of the couples that
1: hire us are having multi-day celebrations. It could be literally anywhere in the world. As you said, You know, sometimes it's even people bringing their guests to Los Angeles, but there's almost always a welcome party and something on Sunday, whether it's a farewell brunch or a pool party. Often, depending on where we're at, we're doing other excursions or bridal luncheons and things of that nature. Couples come to us because they want something that really usually leans into the culture. So we're aesthetically inspired by Kind of local textiles, local florals, things that that really make you feel like you're in a new region. We're rarely, you know, just putting white roses in the Philippines or anything like that. We really want to make sure we're playing up the local aesthetic. Also, culturally, design-wise, we're really inspired by the food and the entertainment. And we're really just trying to ensure that when the guests arrive, they feel like they're somewhere unique and new. Over the years, I've just kind of discovered, you know, it seems obvious, but I've just discovered that the expectations are higher for guests who are traveling so far away. So we put a very large emphasis on guest experience and our couples feel the same. I rarely am working with couples who are like, this is my wedding and I don't care if my guests." have a good time. We're really trying to make sure they feel honored to be there. So, aesthetic design is a big part, guest experience design, you know, leaning into the cultural elements, but also there's just like a lot of layers to creating a successful destination wedding and so people come to us because they want an expert that they can trust that it's going to, you know, it's going to go off well. They're not taking any risks and things of that nature, so.
0: So, when you are working with a couples and you're planning destination weddings, a lot of times like we talked about, you might have to do some more handholding if it's a new location, like somewhere abroad. Do you feel like or did your couples typically hire a travel agent as well? Do you need help from a travel agent or does that really matter? I have a travel
1: agent that I lean on if there if there's an issue that comes up. but the way we handle it is we we do offer light support to the guests. so we're almost always setting up room blocks for them, so they usually know where they're going. We've definitely provided details on how to travel and where to go once they've gotten there. And then we even do a little bit of, you know, we we set up an email on the client's behalf where guests can ask us questions like where where's a good place to go to dinner? Where's what's the best wine tasting? And we can give light support in that regard. If someone's looking for someone to book flights, airport transfers, you know, that are not attached to a hotel reservation. And that's something that our couple is not hosting. In that instance, we could refer them on to a travel agent, but it's pretty rare.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's good to know. So another thing that you kind of brought up already is the weekend events that couples are planning, which I think is super fun, especially if you're in a new location, you really want to soak up all of the culture and experience and spend time with your friends and family. I'm assuming for the benefit of our listeners, when they're planning those types of events too, before and after the wedding, the couple's typically paying for those events as well, right? Like the guests aren't paying for any of those or like for an excursion, are they paying for some of those? What is the breakdown yeah. for that?
1: Most of the events are hosted, but on occasion we will, and it, and it's usually worded just like this, where it's like, John and Sally are going fly fishing on Saturday. If you'd like to join, it's $40 per person and let, and here's the email to add your name to the reservation. Sometimes the excursions are presented like that, but definitely all of the events are hosted. And I would say most of the excursions are hosted at this point, but if you, if you wanted to present an excursion as optional, and I think that that's the important piece is like, there's these events that guests are almost obligated to attend. And then if you're asking them to pay, then in my mind, it becomes an optional add on like, Oh, this is where we'll be if you want to come and here's the cost affiliated. So that happens on occasion.
0: Yeah. I think giving them the choice, but then also letting them explore their own if they want to is obviously a nice option as well. Something we haven't talked about is timeline, which is obviously a big factor for couples in your opinion how far in advance should couples start planning their destination wedding? And do you think there's a difference between like different countries if they're traveling? I feel like some, you know, look cultures plan farther ahead. Some are not as much. Is there too far in advance?
1: Yeah, I kind of, I, I kind of let the couple's personality decide. I've done a huge seven event wedding in in three months and, In an island off of Italy. So we've done it really quick. But what I will say is like, it's very stressful for the couple, because they have to like, make lots of decisions really, really quickly. Guests start to get stressed out because they need flight information. So you know, they need to get their travel buttoned up quickly. I think just like a normal wedding, anywhere from that nine to 12 month mark works really nicely. Anything beyond that just gives you padding. So you can take a little longer to find the venue you like anything less than that is going to feel a little crunched but yeah some weddings you know are planning really we're planning really far out in advance you know we've also done a year and a half in italy and it's nice because the couple can spend as long as they need to find the venue that they love and they don't have to feel too rushed on things but it certainly can be done faster depending on who you've hired to support you
0: Speaking of planning ahead, today's episode is brought to you by our wedding planning template shop. Right now, it's the beginning of the year, and you want to get your wedding planning organized. I highly recommend our ultimate wedding planning checklist and our budget bundle. The checklist is a game changer that tells you what to do when as you plan your wedding, and our wedding budget bundle contains both a budget and a vendor payment tracking chart so you don't have to worry about missing any of your vendor payments or overspending because it has all of your categories spelled out just for you so you can create a spending plan. Get access to all my wedding planning shortcuts and more in the Wedding Planning Template shop at shop shop.verveventco.com. Again, that's shop.verveventco.com and use our code podcast10 for 10% off your entire purchase. Again, that's podcast10 at checkout for 10% off your entire purchase. Kind of going along with that, what about sending save the dates? Because I feel like some people say they want to send them as soon as possible. Some people are like, I don't even know what I'm doing next month. So when you're planning a destination wedding and you have like a typical timeline, when do you recommend couples typically send out the save the dates for the destination wedding? Yeah, if it's, if it's international,
1: I think nine months is ideal a little bit. If you have a little longer, great. If it's domestic, anywhere from that six to nine month range. So nine months to a year international, six to nine months domestic. But really, we send Save the Dates out as soon as we have a venue, typically. Because it usually takes, even if someone were to hire us at a year, it usually takes a month or two to find a venue, and then we'll send the Save the Dates shortly thereafter.
0: Well, good to know. Okay, so let's talk about the B word, which I talk about a lot here on the podcast, super important, which is budget. Yes. In your experience, what is a typical budget for a more luxury destination wedding? And maybe we can do with like a starting minimum budget, maybe a mid-range and the higher end, which obviously higher end can do like anything. So couples can kind of have an idea of the numbers that we're talking.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about our work, Most of our multi-day destination weddings are half a million dollars and above at this point. I definitely once in a while do 30 or 40 person weddings and they can be 250, $300,000 range, but it it really depends on their expectation. And the destination really makes a huge difference. A wedding in the Philippines is really, really different than a wedding in Italy. So it depends on what they're looking for there. Mid-range, when you say low Lower range or the starting range, I'm assuming hiring all the vendors locally. Goodness. I mean, I would anticipate at least three to $500 a person, depending on how many events you're having. You know, for us, as we kind of, they can go really really significantly higher, but a good mid range might be a thousand to twelve hundred for the wedding day, five hundred to seven hundred dollars for every additional event. So, you know, it kind of stacks up from there. The ranges are huge depending on the region, number of events. And mm-hmm.
0: there's
1: a lot of factors.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good starting point. And we're talking about per person prices, guys. So yeah, and I completely understand what you mean because I'm Filipino and like as soon as we get to the Philippines, it's super hard to get there because it's expensive. But once we're there, things are a lot cheaper. It's just yeah. flying there. It's just, and that's yeah. obviously going to be different from Italy, which, you yeah. know, so <laughs> totally understand. Yeah.
1: yeah. I mean, even in the United States, like Aspen is significantly different than like Winter Park, Colorado, even in Colorado, you know, so it really just depends on the, the region. I'm very unhelpful in that. I, When we share budgets with our couples, we sit down and talk about everything they want and then we price it out that way.
0: And it really can depend on their priorities, like so many different things. So I think, yeah, it's completely fair. One question I did have for you regarding vendors and working with people locally versus not locally, do you find that if you're working with people that are local to the area, is it easy to communicate with them? Like, are you usually using phone, email? Like, do they ever do Zoom calls? Like, what is it like?
1: Yeah, I mean, they do all of those things. I would say if we're working internationally, it's WhatsApp. That's the easiest way to communicate internationally. But yeah, if we want to do a Zoom, they're usually happy to hop on, but we're doing almost everything via email and WhatsApp.
0: One of the things that I kind of allude to is I love your work and it's so absolutely gorgeous. And so if you guys, if you're listening, you should definitely check out Best Company because their work is just stunning and so inspiring. One of the things I think a lot of our listeners want to have but struggle with is the gorgeous wedding, but they don't know where to start in terms of design, how to get even like some kind of semblance of like a direction for it. Where do you typically get your inspiration for the designs for your weddings? Is it the couples, the location, a combination of both, which I know I think you kind of alluded to? And then what tips do you have for our listeners if they want to have some kind of cohesive design for their wedding, but they don't know where to start?
1: For us, it's a combination of couples usually have some inspiration, you know, everyone has something they're starting with, whether it's a favorite restaurant or another person's wedding, or even just like, I love these flowers, someone's usually starting there. And then we definitely lean into the local culture. When we're doing destination weddings, we're almost always visiting kind of the open air markets to see like, what do the artists create with? What are, again, I keep going back to the textiles. That's a really big piece for me. What are the materials they're using for things like what color of woods and types of woods do they use? Because I might pull that into chairs or dinner tables and things of that nature. For couples who don't know where to start, I would start by looking at their everyday life. You can obviously follow lots of amazing event designers. You can go on Pinterest. You can pull wedding inspiration that you like from there. I also really would look at like, what are your favorite restaurants? What environments do you really, really love? Because those things tend to kind of play into your aesthetic as well. Like, why do you like that restaurant? Do you feel cozy or is it super opulent and over the top? And that can tell you a little bit about your, your style as well. I even think just like, you know, as you're talking about your budget and your style, you can probably look at like how you dress, the cars you drive, you can kind of like assess like, oh, I'm kind of a bougie person, or I'm a little more understated. And and that can kind of communi- help you narrow in the direction you want to go as well.
0: I think that's a really great point. Because a lot of times when we're working on the design with our couples, we're looking at where do you shop? What's in your closet? What's your favorite meal? What's your really nice meal? Like things like that. And I think people forget to look at what they naturally gravitate towards because they're always getting feedback or inspiration externally, but really starting with yourself is a really great point. And I think you're mentioning restaurants is a really great suggestion. Okay. So another question I wanted to ask is we've obviously talked about how awesome and fun a destination wedding can be, but there are challenges. So do you think that there are couples that would not enjoy having a destination wedding? Like as far as like, things that could stress people or like if you are this type of person, maybe second, think about it again, if you are planning a destination wedding.
1: Yeah, I think that if you need to touch and feel everything, and you're not working with a someone like me that can, you know, find ways to get you to touch and feel everything, you might not enjoy a destination wedding. Most of the couples we work with take two to three scouting trips to the region. Lots of people who plan destination weddings don't even go to their their region before. I know when I worked in Hawaii, I would wouldn't meet the couple until the week of their wedding. But even if you only go to the destination wedding or the location once, it still puts you in this space where you're like, "Oh gosh, I don't get to taste that cocktail. Oh, I don't know what that how they're going to present that food." You know, you're you're relying on a bunch of pictures and and just a lot of email communication. So if that if you don't have the resources to go as often as you want, and that's going to stress you out, then maybe pick a destination that's like 45 minutes away that you're an hour away that you could drive to. Maybe it's not somewhere you fly to. Additionally, where they should have it. If you're too much of a people pleaser, in that, like, I really do think you want to take care of your guests, first and foremost, and you should have that. But if that is going to stress you out to the point where, you know, Guests are going to be texting you all weekend long and you feel like you've got to make dinner reservations for them and now you've got to tell them where they get to get their hair done and you don't have bridesmaids or a planner or someone that can take that off of you. It could get very stressful for you if you're taking on kind of this responsibility of of entertaining and, and hosting everyone. If you're taking that to an extreme, I think there's a nice balance you want to find between making sure their needs are met but then also turning them over to either a concierge at a hotel or your wedding planner or someone to call rather than being the one to field all of that all weekend long.
0: I think these are really great tips. And yeah, I think you bring up really good points. And I think this kind of goes along with that. But one thing I wanted to ask you was, what is one thing that people forget to consider or don't think about when they're planning a destination wedding? When there's like surprises that they're like, oh, I didn't think about that. I would say shuttles are a big one. Airport transfers for the
1: guests, if that becomes important, nannies for the guests. Like sometimes it's like you want to have an adult only wedding, but if, you know, your aunts and uncles can't travel without their kids through the weekend. So it's like, how do you make sure that they're supported with those sorts of elements? So it's just like all of those everyday activities. If you have a religious component or a big portion of your guests who, you know, need to attend temple or a mosque or something like that throughout the process, like those sorts of questions kind of come up. A lot of guests are self-sufficient, but sometimes that's those sorts of things fall on a on a couple as well.
0: Okay. So I think you've given our listeners so much food for thought and inspiration. And if they weren't considering it before that they're probably gonna consider having a destination wedding now, probably hopefully so. working with you. But for those that are thinking about that they might want to do this, but don't know where to start. Do you have any favorite locations or properties that you're just like if you if anyone should get married in a destination wedding, like these are like our top three or four places or they would love?
1: Where do I love? I love Brush Creek Ranch in Wyoming. It's like adult summer camp. I love Blackberry Farm, which is right outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. Just very it's like remote and elevated and grown up but casual. I just resonate with it personally. Also United States, I like Amangiri, which is very chic and sophisticated and really specific aesthetic and style. But if that's your style, it's it's a good one. Hmm, Throughout the world, let's see. I love Belmond Properties. Sam out of outside of Florence, is uh, Villa San Michele Outside of Florence, is gorgeous. Rosewood Cesta, Galeon, del Bosco in Tuscany is amazing. I could tell you a million properties if you want me to keep going, but
0: <laughs> I love all of those spots. I'll have you email me, and then we'll link to them in the show notes. Sure, yeah, whatever you whatever you like. Perfect, and yeah, like I feel like Blackberry Farm, because I grew up in Virginia in like the southern part of Virginia, so it's not. It is a well-known, but not a well-known place. But I think it's just like so cool and different. And just that's one of my goals is to go there with our kids. Yeah. I've worked there, but I haven't gone on my
1: own. One of my goals is to just like have a lovely vacation there. But Yeah. It just looks so cool and delicious.
0: <laughs> awesome. Okay. So we're going to head to our last segment, which is one of our favorites, which is called This or That. They're really short questions. Whatever comes to your mind first. Question one. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. If you had one, what was your AOL instant messenger screen name? And some people don't even probably know what that is, but I'm, I should probably tell you guys what it is. But anyways, if you had one, what was it? Helmie, H E L M E E. Nothing, nothing that exciting. It's kind of different. <laughs> if you were sent to a deserted island, what one thing would you bring? Probably my sweet
1: partner, boyfriend. He's so wonderful. Is that is that count?
0: No, I think that's really good. I was going to say chapstick, but okay. <laughs> I, mean, I guess I could bring my kids. Beach bring or, kids. <laughs> right? <laughs> Actually, no, probably just my husband, not the kids. But anyways, enjoy more. Beach or mountains? Beach in the winter, mountains in the summer. Name a celebrity crush. It can be an old one. It can be a current one. Like if you, I don't know. I just think it's a fun one. Um, I like Trevor Noah a lot. At weddings, kids or no kids? I mean, I don't mind
1: kids at weddings, but I'll tell you 90% of our weddings don't have kids. But I think they're fun. They're sweet when they dance. And you just have to
0: take care of them. You have to entertain them if you're going to have them. Yeah, I agree. And they make really cute photos. Sweetheart cake and lots of desserts. So like a little mini cake with lots of desserts or a big wedding cake. I think right now I'm into really big
1: over-the-top wedding cakes, but that's because I don't get to do them that often. So when I do, I really find them fun. But we do mostly sweetheart cake, like smaller cakes with lots of desserts. That's more common.
0: All matching bridesmaids, dresses, or coordinating but different? Yeah, coordinating but different. Okay. Band or DJ? Band. Dramatic entrance at the reception or a final send-off at the end of the night? I'm going to say entrance at the reception because a lot of people
1: leave before that final send off and it, it, it's usually not as big as, as big as someone would
0: want it to be. See guys, this is why we ask these questions. Okay. Beth, (laughs) it was so lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge with us. Before I let you go, can you let our listeners know where to find you online?
1: Of course. My website is just BethHelmstetter.com. On Instagram, I'm also Instagram.com slash BethHelmstetter.
0: Facebook is the same. Facebook.com slash BethHelmstetter. Basically just my name. (laughs) Awesome. Well, guys, we'll make sure to link to that in the show notes. It was so awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much again for your time, Beth. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. I hope you loved today's episode with Beth. She had so much to share, and I could have talked to her forever, but I think we covered a lot when it comes to luxury destination weddings from both the couple's perspective and the vendor's perspective. So let me know if you have any follow-up questions for Beth or me. You can send us a DM on Instagram at Podcast, or call our wedding planning hotline at 585 210-3467. 210-3467. Again, that's 585 2103467. And don't forget to follow Best Company on Instagram, on social media. Their events are truly exceptional and I would love one day to be able to create amazing events like her. At Verve Event Co., my wedding planning company, we love destination weddings so much because we find it so rewarding to immerse ourselves into a specific location and create really remarkable experience for our couples and their guests. There's so much inspiration for the design and unique adventures to introduce to your guests, so it makes the planning even more amazing and fun. As always, for the episode show notes, you can visit verveventco.com forward slash 91. Again, that's www.verveventco.com forward slash 91. And I know I said this on last week's episode, but I still can't believe we are closing in on our 100th episode. I feel like we need to do something really special for big number one zero zero. So if you have a special request for a topic or a guest for that episode, leave us a five star review on Apple podcast with your ideas and suggestions, and we will definitely do our best to make it happen. Okay, speaking of which, now it's time for our review of the week, which comes from Mo and Kev Photo, who write, five stars, so knowledgeable I love all of the information on wedding days and wedding planning. Desiree has so much experience in the wedding planning field and can help couples planning their wedding day and wedding industry leaders alike. I love this podcast, highly recommend. Yay, thank you so much for that really kind review. I'm so glad that you find the podcast helpful. Obviously, I focus on helping couples, but I know a lot of vendors listen to the show. So thank you so much for that really sweet review. If you love the podcast and haven't left us a review yet, please leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts and let us know what you're loving about the show, what you want to hear more of, the types of guests you want to hear from. I know one of you actually emailed me to ask about Wedding Stationery, so we're definitely putting together an episode on that, and that's going to be ready in a couple weeks, so keep those suggestions coming. Right now, we are at 74 reviews, and I would love it if we could end season three having reached 100 reviews. So keep them coming Also, this episode is airing the day before my birthday So if you want to make my month, because yes, it's a birthday month Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and wish me happy birthday You don't even have to write a super long review You can just drop me some emojis, some champagne emojis, a birthday candle, a salsa dancer, I will take it Also, finally guys, we have a winner for the name of our podcast fans I know you've been waiting. I've been waiting for like two years for this because I've been trying to rack my brain for something for you. So the winning name is Love Verves, which is so cute. Definitely a play on our wedding planning company, Verve Event Co., This name was submitted by 1993MMG in Apple Podcasts. So if that is you, please email me at asktheplannerpodcast at gmail.com or you can send me a DM on Instagram at asktheplannerpodcast and we will set up your clarity call because you won. We had so many good suggestions come in from you all with names for our podcast fans. So thank you, everyone, who submitted a suggestion. I really, really, really appreciate you actually thinking about it. So I'm so glad that we finally have a name, though. Again, thank you all so much for joining me today. I love being with you every single week. It's really one of my favorite times to record this episode for you. So I can't wait to talk to you next week. Coming up on the podcast, we're talking about the surprising reason every couple should take a honeymoon, which actually is – I had no idea, but I love this reason, so you definitely should listen to that podcast. We're also talking about wedding stationery, like I mentioned – races and Invisalign before getting married. You all know I'm doing this right now, so I'm not getting married. I'm very much looking forward to sharing those episodes with you. Until next time, I will see you over on Instagram and on TikTok at Ask the Planner Podcast. Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening to Ask the Planner. To make sure you enjoy planning your heirloom occasion, visit AskThePlannerPodcast.com where you'll find show notes and ways to connect with me. And if you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you hit subscribe and please leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so other couples can find the show and plan their flawless wedding just like you.